Hey, this is Caleb Clay, Associate Pastor of Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta, Georgia. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We believe that it will minister to you and be a blessing to your life. Now get ready to receive a word from God. But it's amazing when storms come and really just pressures of life. Um, you find out what's really in there. That's what pressure does. Pressure helps you get to what's important. Um, you know, lack is not always a bad thing because it helps you identify what's really necessary and what's not. I'm not saying that God wants us to live in lack at all. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm just talking, you know, when the challenges and the storms and the pressures of life come. Um, I remember 9-11, um, I'm, as I'm sure many of you do. I was 18 years old. I was walking to orientation at Bible school and um, went into orientation about 9.30, 10 o'clock that morning. They announced uh, what had taken place, let us go. That was a Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday night was the largest crowd I've ever seen on a midweek Wednesday night service, even for Rama. I mean, the whole balcony was filled. It was incredible. It was packed to the max. And um, so when these pressures and storms and trials, challenges uh, take place, um, that's when you really find out what's in you. It's easy to praise when it's all going your way. And it's easy to speak the right thing and say the right thing and do the right thing um, when everything's lining up. But today I want to talk to you about why worry isn't worth it. Why worry isn't worth it. And in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is speaking. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasure is something that you value. Treasure is something that, that has uh, uh, a, a value associated to it. So the things that you value, don't just place them on earth, place them in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to read it in the New Living. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth. It's probably what you have on the screen behind me. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Storing is a proactive action. Storing is what you do in preparation for something. Storing is not what you do once the storm hits. I heard all kinds of jokes this past week. Uh, you know, we, we drink, you know, three liters of Mountain Dew every single day, but when a hurricane hits, we go get all the cases of water we can find. All of a sudden, we become water drinkers. Why is that? Uh, you know, and I even made a joke. I'm not getting water. If I'm going down, I'm going down with something I want that tastes good. I'm going down with some Dr. Pepper and some Sour Patch Kids. Y'all know me. Don't talk to me about my diet. I don't want to hear nothing about gluten-free organic. There's a storm out there. So what are you storing? Well, what you're storing is what you, is the resource you draw from when the storm hits. So you store before the storm. You store, you see, we, 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 we are reactive in our approach. Sickness, we get a report of sickness in our body and that's when we go to the word. And now God's having to play catch up 
with our problem. So he says, you store it up, lay up. And where you lay up determines what you get to reap. Because if you lay up where it can be uh, attacked, if you lay up where, so you gotta put your treasures, you gotta put what you value in a place where it will not be taken, where it will not be eaten, where it will not be uh, attacked. So you, 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 you study God's word and you memorize God's word. So when the moment comes that you need it, it's right there within your spirit. You're not having to go run it down and try to find the scriptures in the midst of the attack. I mean, that would be horrible if we sent our military overseas. All right, what, what, what do I need to be? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it when it happens. So what are we gonna do if this happens? Well, you know, we'll figure it out as we go. That doesn't work. That's how you lose people. That's how you lose stuff. And so he's talking about storing. Uh, He goes on verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, what he's saying is, is your heart is always attached to what you value. Your heart is always attached to what you value. So you want to find out what you value Find out where your heart is attached to. You know, this is why, uh, you know, we, we give of our finances. You know, God doesn't need our money, right? You know that. He, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created all of it. Therefore, he's owner by, uh, he, 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 uh, he's owner by the right of creation. He created it. Therefore, he owns it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and everything within it. He owns it. So he doesn't need your 10%. He doesn't need your offering, but he wants your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart is. So the way he gets to your heart is through your paycheck. It's through your pocketbook. It's through your finances because everyone's heart is connected to finance. And the way he gets to your heart is through your money. It's not about the money. It's about your heart. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And I think you've got new living on the back wall here. So I need to start reading from the right translation. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, he's using money, but there are all types of gods. There are all types of uh, what's a God. It's something that calls the shots in your life. Some people have created uh, 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 entertainment a God. Uh, Some people have created relationships a God. Some people have created their work or their business as a God. Money obviously is an easy God to identify because it can speak to you. It can talk to you. It sure can. Money talks. And so he's saying that we cannot have our heart attached to two different things at the same time. We can't have our heart attached You cannot be fully devoted to God and his way of doing things if you are still attached to something else. And this is the thing about God. He doesn't take 50%. 
He doesn't take 75%. He doesn't take 90%. He will only take 100. If you don't give him all, he wants none. Period. If you don't give him all of you, then he has none of you. If any part, uh, anything else in life uh, has our devotion, has our heart, has our attachment, it can call the shots. If anything becomes more important, I mean, just like Pastor Chris said, football's playing, but what's more important, football or Jesus? And this is what happens is in storms, you find out what's important. Find out what's important. I remember um, last year when Irma hit and um, the day after I went out to one of Brent Biles' pecan orchards, farmer here in our church, and uh, the orchard that I showed up at was completely demolished, trees uprooted, just laying on the ground. Looked like a massacre. This is unbelievable. Not only did he lose the pecans, he lost the trees that produced the pecans. You, you, you lost what will produce pecans for the next, I mean, it'd take you 50 years to get back what you just lost. And I was talking to him <clears throat> about it and obviously they're devastated, obviously, you know, especially right there in those early moments showing up the next morning. You, I mean, the storm is blowing and you don't know what's going on out there. So the next day you drive out to your orchards and you find out what's there, what's not. But in the midst of all that, he was thankful that his house was great. His house was good. His family was fine. His kids were good. You find out what's really important. Sure, it's devastating. Sure, it's a loss. But pressure, when pressure comes, you have to let go of what doesn't need your attachment. And you have to let go of what doesn't need your attention. And you have to let go. You have to withdraw yourself from the things that aren't. And you begin to prioritize. You begin to, priority is you placing value. And this is the thing about priority is what you prioritize, you will never compromise. Say that again. What you prioritize, you will never compromise. You don't compromise what's important to you. You don't compromise, you know, nothing that is a four or a five on the list is going to be more important <clears throat> than a one or a two. It can be done later. We'll fix that another time. But this is what's more important. And, and this is what pressure can do. This is what challenges can do. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now let's keep on going. That is why I tell you. So this is connected to what he's about to say. He's not changing gears, not changing subjects. It's connected right on to what goes on. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? The word worry means to be divided into parts. It's literally what worry means. Worry is a distraction. 
Worry is a distraction. Worry is giving your attention to something else rather than what you should be giving your attention to. Now, when we end up in pressure situations, it becomes very conclusive and very identifiable where our attention is. And if our attention moves to worry, and if our attention moves to complaining, and if our attention moves uh, to the, the negative responses when a pressure or a trial hits, guess what? We didn't store up the right thing because whatever you store is what you get to pull from. Whatever you store is what you get to pull. You can't store apples and then get oranges. What you store is what you draw on. Now this is connected. He's talking about treasure. He's talking about what's valuable. He's talking about God wants your heart. He's talking about you can't have your, your devotion divided. You can't have divided devotion. You cannot serve God and mammon or you cannot have two gods in your life. You gotta serve one or the other. And then he goes right on into worry. I heard someone say one time that worry is temporary atheism. Worry is temporarily acting and living like God isn't real. Worry is not in God's dictionary. Worry is not in God's vocabulary. Worry is not in God's will. Worry. Now I'm not talking about concern. I'm not talking about, uh, Paul said that he had a deep concern for the churches, but he wasn't worried about them because the Paul the Paul that endured the trials that he endured, real trials. Philippians chapter four, he says, be anxious for nothing. He's saying nothing qualifies for your anxiety. He said, nothing qualifies your anxiety. Nothing reaches the standard or the level that it should ever be something you worry about. That's what he's saying. No matter how detrimental it looks, no matter how bad it can get, no matter what pressures or storms or trials are coming around us. And, and you know, a lot of people, I, I, I have seen people take a negative situation and make it positive, but I've also seen people take a positive situation and make it negative. Have you seen those people? I mean, they came out with flying colors. Everything was working great, but they'll find something to complain about. And I'm just like, beep, hang up that phone. I don't even need to talk to you because your negativity will wear on me. And no matter what you say positively, they're going to flip it around and make something negative out of it. <laughs> I mean, worry you, you can develop a habit of worry and you will worry even when there's nothing to worry about. You'll be concerned even when everything's fine. Blue skies and you'll turn them gray. I'm serious. A worry wart. You don't have a worry wart. You are a worry wart. You are a walking worry wart. He says, and why worry about your clothing? 
I mean, look, he's talking about everyday things that we have to have. He's not talking about stuff that's, you know, questionable or, you know, you can live with that. He's talking about food. He's talking about water. He's talking about housing. I, I, I heard, I think it was Miles Monroe said that every person on the planet has five basic needs. Food, water, housing, clothing, and I, I can't remember the other one. Occupation, maybe. That, that there's, and no matter where you live, no matter if you're under a bridge or you're in a penthouse, no, no matter what you do, everyone has five basic needs that they are trying to meet on a daily basis. And he covers them. Why are you worrying about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And let me say this. I've seen people on the flip side, not, not, not worrying about not having enough, but worrying that they're having too much. Now, I'm not gonna get all into the prosperity gospel and the prosperity message, but I'm gonna tell you right now that God wants you to live in abundance, plenty, Prosperous is not a dollar amount. Prosperous is a lifestyle. Prosperous means I have enough that I can give away. That's what prosperous means. And that's where God wants his people. I have enough that I don't have to check my bank account. I don't have to call the banker. I don't have to look. I don't have to charge it. I've got enough that my needs are met that I can take care of someone else's needs. And not just financially. You're prosperous in your social life that you don't leech on everybody, but that when you make a relationship, you build up other people, you don't suck them dry. You could be prosperous in your mental capacity. You're so worried about your stuff, you can never help somebody else get out of worry. You can be, you can be uh, financially prosperous, that I have enough that I don't have to Barely take care of my needs, scrounge up enough to get mine that if the Lord says pay for their lunch or buy their groceries, that I have to put that off, that God puts us, wants us in a position we can meet a need, see a need, meet a need. That's prosperity. And so he says, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So notice, we're, he's not just identifying our value for God, he's identifying God's value for us. That God doesn't ask us to live by a different token than what he lives by. So if he's saying that we should live undistracted, then God operates. God is never distracted or worried about you. Are you hearing me? This is gonna be good news for somebody because sometimes we live our life like God responds to our situations, like we respond to situations. We see a bill and, and we're like, and so we think God's up on the throne sweating it and, and how are we gonna pay this thing? How are we gonna do this? He's got all the resource and he's got all the attention on you. He can place his attention on each of us individually at the same exact time. And he knows exactly what we need and he knows exactly where it's going to come from. The ones that mess up the, 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 the issue is us. It's either on God's end or my end, period. And it's not on God's, I can tell you right now. God doesn't break stuff. God doesn't do things wrong and then have to go back and correct it. 
Come on. Don't try to bring God down to your level. And so he says, why do you have so little faith? Building your faith will deplete your worry. I said, building your faith will deplete your worry. Want to get rid of worry? Want to get rid of anxiety? Build your faith. Well, how do I build my faith? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You won't worry about cancer when you have faith in a God that heals and provides physical healing to manifest in your body. You won't, you won't worry about a storm or a hurricane when you know that he has placed you on this planet in his authority and in kingdom power to speak to storms. You mean we can talk to storms? Jesus did. Did Jesus talk to storms? Okay, I'm making sure we're all reading the same Bible. Sometimes I preach to you guys and I'm like, is, is that, that's in my Bible. What Bible do you have? Why do we live like this doesn't work? Because we will never live beyond our level of revelation. You'll never live beyond your level of revelation. You will not, you will not speak to storm. I've seen people Facebook in it. In Jesus' name, storm go. I, I'm, I'm thinking, they got some revelation. Now, there are people that just copycat and just say stuff because they hear other people say stuff. But when you get the revelation that you are a kingdom citizen, you've been given the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's in my Bible, Matthew chapter 16. And that's not for a later date. That's for today. Amen. So keep on going. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, you know, you, you hear people worry. You don't just see people worry, you hear them worry. It's on their mouth. It's on their lips. It's all they talk about. They just ooze worry. Ooze drama. Ooze anxiety. It just spills out of them. You just want to get some duct tape. And just... Because you are robbing yourself of the blessing. God's not doing it. I'm not doing it. Nobody else is doing it. You're, do You're talking yourself into it. You ever, you ever heard that term? I got to talk myself into it. Sometimes we can talk ourselves into negative things and we can talk ourselves out of positive things. Israelites come to the, the edge of the promised land, man. This is what they've been believing for. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what they came out of Egypt for. The wilderness was not a, 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 a landing spot. The wilderness was what they passed through so they could get to the miracle, get to the promised land. They get up on it. They send in spies. They send in 12 of them. 10 come back with a bad report. They talk themselves out of what God was talking them into. And it's interesting, you go over to Joshua, after we kill off uh, all the, the, the slaves from Egypt, they die in the wilderness because Jesus has got to get some, or God's got to get some flesh blood in here, got to get some fresh mentality because you can take people out of Egypt, but you can't get Egypt out of them. And so he's like, okay, I brought them out, but I can't get them in. So I need a crew of people 
that will not relate back to slavery. That will not relate back to bondage. So they all die. And if you do the math, the only ones that could go in were 20 and older. That means they were born in the wilderness. They had no mentality of slavery, no idea what that was like. And now God can take them in. And, 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 and Joshua sends in spies, but he learned from Moses's. He said, two came back with a good report. I'm sending in two. So he sent two. He's like, I'm not, I'm not sending in a multitude of people and then hope we get a, a majority vote out of this thing. Two people are going in and they were confirmed of the power of their God and the power of their people by Rahab, a harlot, and by the people of that town. You have heard about your God. We've heard about the waters being parted. That was 40 years ago. They're still talking about it. Tells me that the enemy is more convinced of my power than I am. If, you know, I, I used to say, if I knew what God knew, I wouldn't worry. If I knew what the devil knew, I wouldn't worry. You know, he's worried about you. He's worried that you'll get this. He's worried that the revelation from the Holy Spirit will open up your eyes. That's why he puts a veil. That's why he covers it. That's why a lot of you are struggling with what I'm saying right now because you're going past and trying to relate it back to your, your mentalities and your doctrines and your theologies and all the stuff you've ever learned. And you're just like the Pharisees and the Pharisees couldn't receive the new because they were trying to pour the new in the same wine skin that they had been pouring everything else into. And Jesus said, you can't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. You'll lose them both. You got to get a whole new wineskin. And the devil will always defeat us where we do not have revelation. That's why Paul prayed for the church multiple times. In Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians, he prayed. You know, Paul prayed for the church. He prayed for the church. And he said, I pray that they'll have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? Because this stuff is not naturally discerned. If you come in here with your mental capacity, I don't care how learned you are. I don't care how many letters come after your name. I don't care what you've gained in life. This stuff is not gained naturally. There are people that study this thing for a living and know nothing of what it really contains. And it produces no power in their life. The thing, the enemy doesn't want you, uh, uh, he's not trying to keep you from, from, from houses and cars and, and living good. He's trying to keep you from revelation. In fact, he will even disguise the word and get you to buy into something that's not true or half truth to keep you from living in the whole truth. Because when you get the truth, where the truth is, you are set free. It doesn't say where salvation is, you're set free. I know a lot of saved, pe saved people that are not set free because there's still truth that they have not gained. Truth is the power of the believer. The word is the power of the believer because you cannot apply what you do not know. So he's saying, why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. 
I like that. Dominates the thoughts of unbelievers. What's dominating your thoughts? Because whatever is dominating your thoughts is dominating your life. Can't live beyond level of revelation. Can't apply what you don't know. Whatever is dominating your mentality is dominating your life. But he says, your heavenly father already knows all you need. He already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek. So how do I rid myself of worry? Because worry isn't worth it. Worry never pays out. Not what you want. See, worry is something you invest in. And what you invest in is what you're going to get out. When the storms hit, the pressures come, if you've been feeding worry, out comes complaining. Out comes a disillusionment that somehow God is against you and not for you. Out comes uh, this, this idea uh, that, that God must be trying to teach me something. Out must be, uh, comes these these. these Ideas that we come, we form these agendas in our minds that produce the actions of our lives. But he's saying, seek. Seek intentionality, purposeful, driven. When you're seeking something, you're not distracted. Worry means to be divided. But he's saying, when you seek, you're, you're focused Nothing can get you off course. And where does he say seek? Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. What? Above all else. What's that? Value. Priority. He's saying that's where your treasure should be. Right? Your treasure is what you value. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. It's amazing how unrighteous we want to live sometimes and then expect the word to work for us when we need it. Righteousness is not a very popular word in the church anymore, but God still has the same value for righteousness today that he always did in the very beginning. And God still has the same, uh, 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 the same hate for sin that he always has. You know, God hasn't changed his mind about sin. God hasn't changed his mind about what's right and what's wrong. God hasn't changed his mind about what's righteous and what's unrighteous. God hasn't changed. The cross didn't change his mind. It just gave us access to overcome the brokenness and the shamefulness and the guilt and the pattern and, and the inability to overcome our sin on our own. The cross is not a Band-Aid. It's not a get out of jail free card. The cross is the access by which we can live righteously. These are the demands. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. So the question is, do I qualify for worry-free living? Anybody in here want worry-free living? Two of you, okay. I want to live the rest of my life not having to worry. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Not everything you want. 
everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Pastor Earl used to say this. He said, so God meets our needs 24 hours at a time. We're usually worried about stuff that is outside of the next 24 hours. He says, I'll take care of you today. Today. But God, I have that bill coming up on Tuesday. Today. It's still Sunday. It's still Sunday. Today. But what does he say? Seek first priority. And I wonder if he meant seek first the kingdom and then after you seek the kingdom, then you can seek everything else. No, what I think he means is if you would seek first the kingdom, you'd find that's all the seeking you'd have to do. But instead, we seek all the stuff. And God is saying, seek the kingdom and you get the stuff. Now you don't seek the kingdom for the stuff. That's the wrong motive. Okay, God, I'll get it all right if you'll do this. Really? You're going to put an ultimatum on God? You're going you're to tell him what he has to do? No, no, no. You seek the kingdom and live righteously. That means I am devoted to my relationship with him. I'm devoted to my purpose that he has for my life. I'm devoted to his call on my life. I'm devoted to the ministry that he has me in. And yes, every single person in this room has a ministry. I'm devoted, it says, to living a righteous life, not practicing sin, not living in habitual sin and running to it, but getting free from that. Then all my needs will be met. I don't have to worry when I'm qualified as a seeker and living righteous. So do we qualify? Because worry isn't worth it. But I can tell you right now, seeking the kingdom is worth it. So worth it. So worth it. To walk in love when you could walk in hate. To walk in righteousness when you could walk in unrighteousness. To live for yourself or, or to live for others when you could just live for yourself. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Worship team, if you come. Worry isn't worth it. Complaining, it's not worth it. Heard someone say, it doesn't do nothing, but it sure makes me feel better. Well, then that's all you get is a good feeling. I know it doesn't do nothing. I've, I've heard other people say, uh, what do they say? <laughs> Couldn't, wouldn't complain about it if I could. That's the way I would look. I, I, I could complain. I, I could share with you how bad it is. I could talk about what I think is going to happen. But instead, I've got a praise on my lips. I tell you, man, right, right, right there. Just, just right there. Praising when you wanna be cussing, rejoicing when you wanna be complaining, shouting to God with the voice of triumph when you could be shouting in your pain with a voice of defeat. Praise is proactive. 
So stand up with me. I don't, I, whatever, whatever struggle you're facing, whatever challenge, first off, I want you to know this. It's already whipped. It's already finished. I'm so thankful for that word on breakthrough because I know what it feels like in the moment. But here's what I want you to know. The breakthrough is already yours. You just have to grab hold of it. The breakthrough already belongs to you. You are free. You have uh, the living God, the Spirit of God living inside of you and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He said the same Spirit, the same Spirit, the same Spirit. Take your hand and put it on your chest and say the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, lives in me, lives in me. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live above failure. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live above brokenness. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live above uh, uh, restrictions. You don't have to live in bondage any longer. Thank you guys so much for checking out this week's message. If there is any message that you have missed or you just want to hear again, they are all available for free on iTunes. Just search Anchor Faith Church Valdosta and be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified once the new messages are available. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our church and what we have available for you and your family, or if you'd like to donate financially to the ministry, be sure to visit our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.